0: Hi, I'm Jan Orman. I'm a GP and host of Black Dog Institute's Being Well podcast. The Being Well podcast is a series of engaging stories from real people who've led interesting lives and experienced mental health difficulties. They have not allowed their mental health difficulties to define them, but have grown and flourished. Every now and again, we'll mention online resources, If you'd like to find out more about those resources, please head to the eMental Health in Practice page of the Black Dog Institute website. There are issues discussed in these podcasts that some people might find distressing. If you do experience distress, please contact your usual support person or lifeline on 13 11 14. I want to introduce you to Evie Ryder. Evie is many things. She's a social worker, a youth support worker, a filmmaker and a skateboarder who runs classes for LGBT kids in her community. Evie has done all this in and around her journey through gender transition. I hope you enjoy her story.
1: My name's Evie Ryder. I am 36, and my preferred pronoun is she and her. I identify as a trans woman, and for fun, I am a, a skateboarder/slash filmmaker. And for work, I am currently a youth alcohol and other drug support worker for uh, Open Doors. I was born in New Zealand and grew up in West Australia. My uh, I knew I was trans gender from the ages of five and upwards, I guess. I always definitely felt that I was a different gender that people were assigning me, but I always felt really unsafe to express that, and I was sort of, you know, I felt I was actively discouraged to explore also what that meant for me until I was about 19. uh, I had uh, at that time just finished sailing around the top of Australia from. Perth to Port Douglas with my family Uh, my uh, dad had passed away from cancer and I uh, had broken my leg and was off work for a bunch of time and I actually had access to the internet and I got to learn a bit about what transgender actually was and realized that 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 was actually me it was one point I guess when I was about 19 I I came to a point where I um I realized that if I didn't do something about my identity in terms of seek help um, or live or find a way to express it, I was going to uh, end my own life. And I I had to make a decision in that time because I was surrounded by people at the time that I just was terrified of telling um, or terrified of asking for support. Yeah, i had been in a school system which... I felt incredibly unsafe to tell anybody about uh, my feelings around my gender, and so i I had to make a decision about you know do i do I take my own life or do i um do I reach out and I managed to do that a little bit anonymously online at first through uh actually I did it through um, one of those uh, dating websites, <laughs> and uh, you know from there got sort of information you know, to get support from there uh, but yeah, it was I felt like if I didn't find a way to to stop being ashamed of who I was because I had a lot of shame about these feelings um, and uh, I, I really hated hiding who I was um, and who I am, so that was one of those most important aspects huh? so from there, I was also studying uh social work at the same time. So I learned about accessing supports through the the sexual health clinics in in Cairns, learned about accessing uh, hormone treatment and uh, socially transitioning, what that would mean. I got to meet uh, a support group for trans and gender diverse people and uh, find a way to socially transition and and come up with my own name and sense of identity. From there I uh, went on to work for the, the Queensland Aids Council after I finished my university degree in, in social work, and then I uh, eventually ended up getting uh, surgery uh, in Thailand a few years later. And from there, I've just sort of, you know, gotten into advocating and doing a lot of work around community development and building communities around trans and gender diverse health and LGBTI health over the last few years. Online supports are still very hugely relevant. You know, if um, I often, I'm referring a lot of people often to um, online sites such as uh, Mind Out, which has a lot of webinars around working with LGBTIQ uh, community, I, I access a lot of online stuff around. Um, I'm learning a little bit, a little bit about uh, how to manage things like uh, microaggressions towards trans and gender diverse people, and how I can help my peers in terms of uh, challenging some of that stuff that happens to them in the community by uh, perhaps training workers or support people around around stuff like that. So, uh, still, so accessing that that shared knowledge that's on. Uh, that is on online it is really, really helpful to to finding out, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do lately is uh, find out about voice surgery and um, to change my voice and a lot of that information is, is through the networks you make online and it's quite hard to find. So it's, it's still very, very, very relevant. Yeah, when I was, so if I was to compare the resources that are available now to when, when I was first transitioned, say sixteen years ago, you know, all, all I really had access to was uh, maybe those talk shows on Jerry Springer on the TV about what it was to be transgender, um, which wasn't the best source of information, and uh, you know, basically uh, um, dating chat rooms. That's really all I really had access to. Um, but today you you can have uh, access to uh YouTube stories from a variety of different identities from your know, agenda uh, a variety of different like, sexual identities from like, asexual ar- aromantic uh all these different all these different uh stories you can have access to it's uh and, and it's not just online too it's it's in mainstream media now too especially with like Netflix shows having their own uh, series and, and mainstream movies having more content; it's it's um, a lot more abundant. The uh, the information that's out there now. I guess the focus of my work is has uh, in a little bit in sharing and making sure that people know about the resources. I feel like the strongest focus though is empowering and working with my community to build a strong community that c- can access resources and that can get support I feel like you there needs to there's always work that needs to be done around enabling and, and growing community when I was thinking back to it just the other day about what what sort of difference would some of the messages and the resources that I'm developing now would have made when I was transitioning I guess when I was transitioning say 16 years ago I was told very firmly that you things like you couldn't, you had to pick a binary gender, male or female, otherwise you would confuse people. And at the time I was really like, oh, okay, we're not allowed to confuse people. <laughs> um, that's a bit weird. Uh, but today, like you see resources and it's, and you, and you see all this information about, hey, there's actually multiple genders and variations of genders out there. And, and that's really okay to be any one of those uh, as much as you want or as little as you want. I think that would have been pretty liberating to sort of know that kind of stuff as an example uh, back then and feeling like less pressured to sort of conform to a binary gender would have been really, really helpful for me personally. Uh, But also like knowing things like the different effects of some of the hormones I take uh, or have taken in the past, Uh, learning about just where to even access supports. Now I know like... Yeah, across Australia where I can access supports where it was very much limited back, back when I was transitioning. I guess as a social worker, often people have a lot of perceptions about what social worker is or isn't. Social work in general, I feel is quite a broad title and it can actually mean a lot of things. But for me, it means working to empower and develop community and grow community. And you can do that through a lot of different means from making videos to running groups to providing casework um, and counselling to people. So it, it, it's really quite broad. Um, I, I tap into a lot of the community development part of social work when I, as, throughout my career. With Open Doors, I'm currently uh, helping young people by uh, running workshops around alcohol and other drug use. I provide uh sort of counseling, uh harmonization uh brief intervention. I also provide uh training for services around how to work with young people, around alcohol and other drugs, and how to work with gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, intersex, uh, pansexual and stick on brother boy and other genders and other sexualities. I've had a lot of um work in as a social worker and youth worker working for yeah, you know, op- open doors and, and and the Queensland AIDS Council. Um, I've worked quite closely with uh, brother boys and sister girls. So uh, brother boy and sister girl are, are terms used by First Nation people uh, to, uh, to um, describe people who identify as, as transgender in those communities. So because transgender is quite a, a westernised term. Uh, and it doesn't really match uh, a lot of first nation peoples experience often it's quite it's a group that's been like heavily sort of un, you know, um it's heavily it's not it's not had much visibility and so it, um, there's def, there's a lot of work there to to bring visibility and to empower or encourage, you know to, to provide opportunities for that uh, that community to to access and get support and Uh, and be visible in our community. So with the Queensland AIDS Council, when I was working for for them, for the majority of the time, it was known as Queensland Association for Healthy Communities. And my work was predominantly in gay men and men that have sex with men, uh, sexual health promotion. Uh, And so a lot of my work was around uh, promoting uh, information around HIV prevention. And uh, one of the things I did was a uh, start of uh, peer-based free uh, HIV uh, testing clinic uh, as part of that service, and it was probably one of the first in the country that was actually free and um, run by peers um, at the time, where there was uh, lots of funding cuts happening. So it was quite a challenging environment. I feel like I felt like the more you could increase testing. Availability to community, the more you could empower people to take care of their own health um, and make better choices around their their sexual health. My experience with having an LGBTIq plus staff at a service site like testing point meant it just made for like having staff that could really understand firsthand where people where you're coming from when you're coming in to get a test they could understand the the nervousness the they can they understand the apprehension, and the, the fear, because they're from the community. A lot of those people that were volunteering had experienced it, them, you know, going, getting a test, those feelings themselves, and so it could really uh, be a lot more empathetic and supportive in that space. With, with the training I do, I, I do a lot of work with helping people learn about pronouns. Often uh, people that aren't even sure what pronouns even means as a word. Um, so often I'll if I, I'll do a group and I'll, I'll talk about different ways to learn about pronouns, to to, uh, start using pronouns in youth spaces or community settings uh, to enable people to feel safer around asking questions about pronouns. So some, a lot of my work... Often I'll meet people that, you know, are only really familiar with he or she as a pronoun. And I've never even heard of they or ze or all the many other pronouns that people use. And so often my training's a bit about, okay, well, there's a, a bunch of different pronouns. Uh, you know, talking to people a bit about activities like one of the one of a fun activity you can do when you start a group is have a name tag with your name and your pronoun on it. Is is something fun you can do to um to enable people to feel safe about talking about their pronouns, to like having an email address with your pronouns on the bottom, uh, to like make people other other people aware that the pronouns you like to use is a pretty powerful thing to do. Everybody wants to know how do you ask someone's pronoun question, and I I like to think it's more than just how do you ask the question. Like it's about. Not only knowing how to ask a question, but building a culture within your workspace where it's safe to ask the question. Um, so it's not just the question itself you have to think about. It's when you've done screening for that person to come and see you, like the intake process, have you made sure that there's no that, that there's a lot of you know, that, that there's more than the two binary genders on your entry, on your screening form for example, or your intake form so from 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 when they've come in, and they've had to fill out your paperwork, they've included in that space already. Uh, yeah, uh, Is there anything in your office space or your, or, or your service that indicates to them that you are LGBTIQ friendly? Is it like a rainbow flag or resources or a poster? Um, does your service actually celebrate things like wear it with Purple Day or uh, Pride Fair Day or any of those cultural important days that would show the community that you are friendly. So you've, that's what we talk about building a culture in, in your service. So not only just yourself, but all of your staff, your team, your service really celebrate and then acknowledge and affirm LGBTI community. I feel once you've got that, then you're in a better place to ask some of those, those questions that can make you a bit nervous. But once you start asking questions like, uh like uh, about pronouns, it gets easier and easier as you do it. Uh, the first few times, it can be really challenging. And so the best thing is I always like to, to build rapport with someone. If you're a bit unsure about pronouns to use at the start, you can just try using a person's name. Um, you can say, hey, um, you know, what? if uh, if you're feeling like you're unsure of a person's pronouns, it's just being honest, saying, hey, I am, um, you know, a standard thing we do here is uh, to make sure we can respect people from different sexualities and, and genders is we check in with people's uh, pronouns. Uh, would you like to share yours um, so I can respectfully use the right pronoun? To could be a, a simple statement like that. Um, yeah, it, it, once you do it a few times, it just becomes more natural uh, how you do it. Is that also why you need to know a person's pronoun too, it's so you can be respectful of it? but. You making sure that like you you get the information that you need to help the person out with their situation more so than just out of curiosity as well. Uh, and the worst thing is not to assume. Like, so if, if you do assume, uh, that's that usually leads you to get into lots of trouble. <laughs> um, and if you get it wrong, lots of people get it wrong as well. I get it wrong all the time and I do the training. And so the biggest thing is just to acknowledge it and say, hey, I got it wrong. I apologize. Can I, can I, what's the right pronoun to use from here on in? There are things that I like to think about when you, when you, so it's more than just a quick, quick answer. <laughs> yeah. For me, doing a social work degree was um, my, my actually fallback option. I wanted to get into politics, <laughs> but uh, the university said I wasn't smart enough for that. So I got into social work, which I felt was really good for making making change. In terms of how social works helped me with my own health, um, you know, I grew up with a mum who was uh, who has bipolar, and uh, so I got to learn a lot about um, supporting people uh, with with mental health issues similar to that. I got to learn a little, quite a lot about suicide prevention in my work as well, which was. Uh, A lot of strategies, you know, uh, around safety planning and um, providing supports for for people going through those hard times, and to be able to like access those supports myself. One of the things I'm I'm doing a lot of training in the moment is you know acceptance and commitment therapy, and that's been a pretty powerful tool in my own life in terms of um, coming to terms with some of the some of my own really big struggles, learning how to, rather than avoid them or push them aside or suppress them, sort of acknowledge them as as part of myself and, and grow from them. And yeah, so there's been so many lessons in my life from social work that have helped me cope a lot with my mental health today. In my role as a social worker, youth worker, it's, there's a lot of stigma from other professions and other people in the industry. When you talk about uh, having your own mental health issues, and like from people refusing to give you work, or you know thinking less of you in this space, to trying to access a counsellor or support person yourself when you're actually colleagues or close friends with a lot of the people that are available. Uh, you know, for example, the, the LGBTIQ community is very small. I pretty much um, almost close friends with some of the best counsellors in Brisbane, and so which makes my ex- access. Really hard to find that find good people that I don't know on that level, and not not breaking that sort of that worker friend boundary. It's, it's been quite challenging in my work, in my social work that I do and my youth work. I Often have worked quite heavily a lot with supporting young people around suicide prevention. I had one day in one of my roles here uh, where I, I saw about two or three people in that day. You know, talking a lot about suicide, and then I had family members rock up to the workplace wanting to talk about suicide, and then I had my partner. You know, you have to sort of go, "Hey, that's enough." <laughs> Perhaps see less people with those who needed that support to the point, also where I've had to like change careers for a bit, um, and I've left. You know, I've taken breaks from from doing casework for for years and just gone on to like. Okay, I, I'm going to actually use some of my passion and energy to make films instead. And, uh, so I've stepped away from casework, social work, direct sort of work to more community development work or training. And uh, and then when I felt like I've got my strength back again, I, I come back and, and you know, find a way at my own pace to do casework again, but like stronger, with more, more firmer boundaries, and um, you know better supports around me. So it's definitely something that I think, I feel like it's off and on, uh, you, you and you have to really. It's really good to actually take time out and, you know, from certain jobs and careers, especially if they are too close to home. Sometimes, uh, around your own mental health. How I got involved in film uh, has mostly been. Through skateboarding, because I loved filming my clips and filming my friends doing clips. And so that's, uh, and then sharing that with everybody on social media. (laughs) And I wanted to actually get better at that because my clips sort of sucked a bit, I felt. (laughs) Um, And also, I was working for the Queensland AIDS Council for a bit uh, in health promotion. And I realized that I felt like there was a lot more power I could. That could be utilized and actually making visible people's stories that often aren't represented in mainstream media, and I felt like filming was one of the a really good medium to do that. And so I ended up I, la- I left the Queensland AIDS Council and did a diploma in film and television. And uh, from there, I've just gone on to make a bunch of short documentaries that sort of really tell specifically stories around the LGBTI, uh, you know, queer communities' uh, experiences in a way to sort of bring that more visibility to our community and our issues. In in the film Skate Like a Girl, that was a film project that was part of my um, uh, course in film and television. Uh, It was a final assessment for how to make a documentary. And basically I had to submit a, a documentary sort of plan But it was one of those rare opportunities where um, Girls Skate Australia, which is like a national group, were actually doing a tour in Brisbane and an an event. And I sort of managed to tap into that group and uh, interview people from the group, which are some of the best skaters across Australia, and uh, film at at, at that event also. Uh, In doing that, at the same time, I had – Uh, I think Ipswich City Council they actually had a museum uh, expo of um, a half pipe in the museum and they wanted us to to skate and film that as well and it was just like a collaboration of um, all these cool skaters rocking up and almost basically staying at my house in West End which was like a large share house and then all agreeing to be part of the film and then letting me skate and film with them and then uh other groups like you know Ipswich uh city council and the museum letting us film in, in their half pipe and and then before I knew it, I had uh, enough material to make a short documentary which showed some really amazing stories that I felt like deserved to film on their own for each person that was in that film mm-hmm. yeah when I was making it I realized that actually what's really powerful is is the story that you can convey not so much it doesn't always have to rely on the you know the, the fancy camera work or the cinematography and what I realized when I was interviewing people for the for the for the movie, the stories were just so amazing, and they had so many inter, intersections and intertwined that you that I I almost felt like each person's story could do like a separate episode on them. And there was so much there's so much there to to to, to tell. Yeah, I, so it was quite amazing how it all just came together in like a seven minute piece. A bit, being in the subject of my own is quite quite nerve wracking. I get really nervous about being on camera and in, in public, even though I do it a lot uh, for diff- you know for the main reason of advocating and making visible trans and gender diverse people's issues. Uh, often I get really nervous about things like my appearance and my voice, um, and also you know not saying or saying the wrong things or misrepresenting people. And so I always try to focus on. My story—that's what I guess perhaps comes across in the film. Uh, I was probably one of the few uh, people in my film class at the time that, you know, suggested, "Can I have myself in the documentary?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, why not?" And I was like, "Great," <laughs> but um, yeah, it was—it was a bit weird having myself in there. But I felt like I couldn't really shoot that film without being part of it at the same time. I guess one of the things I like about skateboarding a lot is it's sometimes it's one of those sports or activities, you know, that doesn't it doesn't really matter about often what what gender you are or what where you're from even it's it's more about if you want to skate, you can connect in that space. Um, so, you know, I guess when I do classes, it's always I always just to, it's always about it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter. Yeah, how you identify? You can come and skate with me, and we can make it a fun, safe experience. It's really cool that you can uh, that you can just skate by yourself. You don't need a team. But the other part of it is often it's it's really amazing when you get the chance to skate with friends and other people. And I found like my ability to progress as in skateboarding and my ability to enjoy the space it really increased when I managed to get other people to skate with me. And so I felt like perhaps to do that, I would uh, reach out and help teach other people how to skate. I would offer, put on events like competitions, or like join groups and, and um, meet people through the, those networks. That would actually, that in a sense, is what brings half the joy in actually skateboarding is uh, doing it with friends. So it, although it's a, it's you can do it by yourself. It, the other part of the sport is actually connecting with others over it. So here in Brisbane, we have this group called uh, Girl Skate Brisbane. We often like put on a, a yearly competition and do like skate gatherings. And often, like when we skate by ourselves, we sometimes be the only female at skate park. And when we skate together, it feels like you've got a whole community supporting you when you do a trick or encouraging you to do something new, or just encouraging you to be there. It just feels less alone skateboarding in general it's is pretty heavily male dominated often you know going to this, to any skate park or a street session and and like often being the only female identified person there to uh you know when you go to competitions sometimes there may or may not be a women's division um and they may or may not have like the same prize money or the same prizes um, or like the same time uh for women to skate uh and often that's it's can it can make it quite challenging to actually to be a part of the skate scene? Uh, so much so, I actually left the skate scene for quite a long time when I transitioned to living as a female uh, because I just didn't feel safe for quite some time going back to the skate park. Basically, when I when I um when I left skateboarding after I transitioned, I ended up uh, meeting a bunch of people that wanted to learn how to skate and were didn't really have any avenues at that time to, to learn. And so I felt like, uh, it was just really natural process to offer to teach people and and run groups to teach people how to skate. And that's actually what got me back into it is when uh, I had friends asking me to learn and connecting with them and uh, forming sort of like a a skate group from that. So it's basically, yeah. When, when other friends, uh, reconnected with me and wanted to make skateboarding a part of my life again. So when I when I couldn't skateboard, when I felt excluded, I felt like I lost, I guess, a part of myself. In a sense, I felt like hugely, sort of disconnected from a world that was that was really I, I made a you know, huge connection with. Yeah, and I, I felt like I didn't really have a place in it in skateboarding, and it felt I just had a lot of fear about. Being back in that, in that space, I feel fear of, like, violence. And I still do. I still have a lot of fear of violence towards me or, or people uh, giving me a hard time for being trans in that space. And often that doesn't really happen to me. But when I wasn't accessing and when I stopped skateboarding, some of those fears really controlled me in terms of, like, I just wasn't able to go out in those spaces anymore. It was too much. You know, it was a time in my life where I'd, I'd moved back to West End in Brisbane because I was originally living in Cairns, and I got back into skateboarding. And I met I, I met other you know, gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual young uh, people the same age as me, roughly, in the West End area that were keen on skateboarding, and uh, you know, asking for support, um, asking you know to to have to come and skate with me because they also had a sense of like isolation and not knowing how to connect. So after I, put, on a, you know, I you know, put out on Facebook a couple of different classes and, and groups, uh, the momentum sort of picked up from there, and I just kept meeting people that kept wanting to learn how to skate and, and, and go to the skate park or do a street session with someone, and it just sort of grew. I always think um, <clears throat> when I'm skateboarding that often that p- the persistence of, of, keep, of for me to keep going and not giving up and yeah, and, and, and when you and you get that award, because it shows that if you keep giving, if you keep giving it a go, you never fail, um, or, or you, you'll eventually get it, or you'll move on <laughs> and try something else. But it's definitely taught me in my life a lot of, a lot of
0: persistence and given
1: me a lot of strength.
0: Thank you for listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you found distressing don't forget to contact your usual support person or you can call Lifeline on one three one 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 four. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.